Uh, Churchill had a quote, um, it takes courage to stand up and speak, but courage is also what it takes to sit down and listen. And I love that quote as well, because as a leader, you don't have all the answers. So to be able to sit down and ask people and listen to what they have to say and pull their stories out of them, you know, that goes a long way in terms of developing the next generation of leaders to making them feel, hey, my story matters just as much as anyone else's. Thought Leaders Business Lab is for you, the business owner, entrepreneur, the expert in your field who wants to be seen and heard as the influential thought leader in your industry. My name is Samantha Riley and I've been building and growing businesses for over 26 years and I've learned there are three key areas to your success, your mindset, your talents and the people you surround yourself with. Each week, I interview successful entrepreneurs and deep dive to discover the exact strategies that they've used to build their business so that you can experiment and implement these strategies in your business too. Welcome to the Thought Leaders Business Lab. Welcome to the Thought Leaders Business Lab, Todd. It's so awesome to have you here joining me today. Thank you, Sam. This is great to be here. I'm very excited to uh, have you on the show and to be talking about uh, what you do and your methodologies around visual leadership. I'm a very visual person, which uh, when I saw your stuff online, I was just like, I have to have you on the show. Uh It really sung out to me. But, you know, the really important question I have to start with, you're the CEO and co-founder of Big Blue Gumball. Who named your company? Because that is the coolest name ever. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, it was actually myself and my brother. We, we, I, we don't remember who came up with it first, but it's our, it's our company. Um, we do a lot of work around visual thinking, visual storytelling, and metaphors, and the big blue gumball represents the, the earth, the world. The world mm-hmm. to us is like a big blue gumball. So however you want to take it, it's up to you, but it's sweet. It's, sometimes it's hard, but that's what we're all about. Love it, love it. As long as it doesn't blow up, we're all good. <laughs> yeah, no, we, really used to like give out, we used to give out blue gumballs in our workshops where they turn people's teeth and gum and, and tongues blue. So that we didn't want a lawsuit on our hands from someone who just had dental work done. So ah. we replaced them with blue squeeze balls, those stress, stress balls instead. Good idea, good idea. Yeah. So why don't you start off by sharing a little bit about how you got to where you are? Because I know you've got a very long and varied career, and I'd love to I'd love to have the cliff notes version of how you got to where you are today. Sure, sure. In my NYU class, in my final session, I give my students my entire career history in under five minutes, but I'll give you mine in under three minutes. So basically, long story short, I grew up in Queens, New York. I'm coming to you from New York City. And I always wanted to work in television. I love television. And I, I, t- I did my TED Talk last year, my first TEDx talk, and talked about how my dream was to be either Superman or if I had a fallback position, it would be Batman. But if I couldn't be either Superman or Batman in real life, then I'll settle for a job in the TV industry. So everything I did was geared towards working in TV. So I, my first job out of college was working in advertising in New York for Ogilvy and Mather. But I really wanted to work in production. So I packed my bags and my cape, my Superman cape, and I flew out to LA and I moved out there. And I, and I spent 10 years at, in LA working for a number of the TV studios and a couple of TV networks. And then I found myself in the theme park business as a project manager. So I did that for 10 years. And then after 10 years in LA, it was like kind of just time to come home. Um, so I moved back to New York and then I found myself just by accident working for a management leadership training company and I got hooked on management leadership books and I've been doing it ever since for the past 20 years. So in a nutshell, that's my whole uh, resume. Do you love those accident moments that completely change your life? I hear them on this show all the time and I think it's really cool. What else? Oh, are you- people, 
a lot of times people talk about having a career path, but I say it's more like a roller coaster. A path implies that it's laid out for you and you take the steps. And I guess some people have that, but most people are on the roller coaster, right? How many people are doing at age 40 or 50 what they envisioned doing when they were 20 or, or even 30, right? So. Absolutely. I used to talk about it being a roller coaster as well until my husband said, what you guys do is not a roller coaster. It's like standing on the top of a hill with, you know, your little, you know, race car and you just like push off at the end and you just don't know where you're going to end up. You've got no control over it. <laughs> yeah, one of the chapters in my book um, uses the analogy of, I don't know if you know Nick Walenda, the, uh, the, the wire walker, but he walked across the Grand Canyon. And I paralleled being an independent entrepreneur, thought leader, to walking across the Grand Canyon on a tightrope every single day without a net because you literally never know what the day is going to look like. And you can't look down, you can't look back, you just got to keep moving forward. Oh, that is such a perfect metaphor. That is That <laughs> describes what my day is like every day. Uh -huh. um, you talk about, or one of your catchphrases is, I see what you're saying. I absolutely love this. And what I found, I just want to share this little story is when you sent through your bio and uh, all of your, all of your links for us to, to research you, one of the things you did was sent through your bio in a visual, in a visual version, which I've never seen before. And I, that's it. And, you know, I went to prepare for the interview this morning and I was like, okay, I remember you started in New York and I remember then you went to Hollywood and then I remember you're in New York. And then I thought, you know, I remember there was a Walt Disney logo and I remember, you know, I thought, wow, how cool is that? Is that, have I remembered that because I'm a highly visual person and do other people remember things like that? Because I found that so powerful. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, we're all visual people. Research science has shown that we have, our brains are just wired visually. So again, there's the different learning styles, like auditory, there's bark, visual, mm -hmm auditory, read and write, and kinesthetic, right? So we learn in different ways, mm -hmm. but we all have all four of them within us to different extents, but visuals, we just take in information through our eyes. And if you look at text and you look at a picture, the picture is gonna resonate. It's actually a principle called the picture superiority effect that we remember pictures like X number of times more than we remember text when you look back at it. So just like with your example with my resume, if you were looking at a text resume, you would have may have skipped over Disney, but you see that Disney logo, it's embedded in your brain, right? Mm -hmm. It's also mm -hmm. called dual coding theory, where both your left brain and right brain registered one part the text, one part the logo, but together it makes it more memorable. So mm -hmm. um, yeah, mm -hmm. so you're exactly right in that example. Love it, love it, love it. What is visual leadership? Because I know you've just written a book, Visual Leadership, Leveraging the Power of Visual Thinking in Leadership and Life. I'd love you to share, you know, from a starting point, what, what does that mean? Sure, visual leadership, and the way I spell it, I actually have the trademark now on the word visual leadership spelled as one word with a single shared capital L. And if you think about visual leadership, picture a Venn diagram, you know, with the interlocking yep. circles. Visual leadership is where visual thinking and leadership meet, right? Mm -hmm. So when I do workshops around or in my NYU or Columbia leadership classes, when you ask people what what are the first words that come to mind when you hear the word leader or leadership or leading? The word vision is always one of the top three words mentioned. So what does it mean to have a leadership vision? What does it mean when we call someone a visionary leader? It means they picture something in their mind's eye, future possibilities that are better than, different from and better than the current reality. But as a leader, how do you get that picture, that vision from your mind's eye into someone else's? You need to do that through visual communication. So it would be nice if you could just connect the wire from your brain to someone else's oh, and download no it. Oh, no kidding, right? That would how be easy so would that be? <laughs> yeah. 
Unfortunately, they have not come up with that yet. But so short of that, we need to think of a way using stories, using metaphors and analogies, using mental models to basically get someone to say, okay, I see what you're saying. Because how are you going to execute your vision through and with other people if they don't see it and they don't know what's going on in your head? And so many managers say, well, you should have known or it was perfectly clear to me. That's a failure of leadership if you can't get other people to share and to see your vision and to be motivated and inspired by it. Mm, I, I couldn't agree more. I actually come from a, a dance background. So I was a, a dance teacher, choreographer. So everything that I did, I had to come up with, you know, a piece of music. And then I had to visualize, well, what does this set look like? What do these costumes look like? What kind of, uh, what kind of movements match this? What do we need the, the whole idea to be? So I guess I'd like to think that this comes quite easily to me, that I understand that we have to be able to get these ideas out of our head and this vision out of our head because that's what I've been doing my whole life. But I think that even just talking about how we can do this better with our team, you know, with other people that interact with our company is so, so powerful. And I know that you have a four-part framework to do this and I'd love you to share it because the power behind this is huge. Sure. Yeah, break it down. I was just thinking how as a, you know, whether you're a choreographer or you're a movie director or a theater producer, how do you get, you, you picture it, you play it out in your head, but how do you get the actors and the cast and the crew and your dancers, how do you do that? How do you get them to follow the steps that you see in your mind's eye? I'm sure that was, as a choreographer, I'm sure that was a huge challenge, right? And you know, that's not what I meant. That's not, you know, why go left? I meant to, you, for you to go right, right? So I'm sure you yeah. face that all the time. Yeah, right? absolutely. But also as the person that's sharing that vision, if you really listen and watch what other people can are doing as you, you know, speak out what you're trying to get them to do, it's a really great learning curve as the leader to be able to say, oh, what I said was that and what I got was that yeah. and, and be able to, to, to take that back in and really reflect on what you said. Yeah, as you were talking, I was just thinking, one of the stories I tell is that I was in a restaurant and I asked for more ice for my drink but they brought me more rice, a bowl of white rice instead. <laughs> so I said, I said more ice, they heard more rice. And, but the question is, whose fault is that? To me, I always say the burden of communication is on the communicator, right? If they got it wrong. Now I could have picked up my glass and pointed to it and they probably would have known what I was saying, right? Uh -huh, so uh -huh. it's so crystal clear in our own minds, but when we get the wrong thing, it's feedback that, hey, maybe I didn't explain it as well as I could have, right? Totally. So, so to get to your question on the four, the four parts of the framework, Part one is around using visual images and drawing. So that's whether it's PowerPoint slides, whether it's sketching something out on a mind map or a napkin sketch or a whiteboard or a flip chart, right? It's about, um, if you've ever played Pictionary, right? You need mm -hmm. to get people to guess the word on your card by mm -hmm. drawing, right? Mm -hmm. So that's, so we use, and even um, pointing and, and, and using hand signals, hand language, those are all examples of using visual imagery or gestures or whatever to get an idea across, right? So that's the first thing, drawing mm -hmm. and pictures. Mm -hmm. um, the second area I use is mental models and frameworks. So whether it's Maslow's hierarchy of needs or um, a SWOT form box matrix or whatever, we all have different models that we use to represent reality. And one of the things I say is life is complex and messy, but if you could put it in a box so you could see it more clearly, you may see solutions that you didn't see before that. And then when you take it out of the box, you can then implement those ideas. So, but if you have models and frameworks, that helps us do that. Mm -hmm. The third part is metaphors and analogies, using um, examples by saying, this is kind of like that. So if you use them, metaphors and analogies make the intangible tangible, they make the invisible visible, they make the unfamiliar familiar. But one of the keys is 
you have to use a metaphor and analogy that your audience or your listener can relate to and understand. So if I gave you a baseball analogy, you know, you're in Australia, you may not be a baseball fan, but if I use a nature analogy or something, or dance analogy, now that I know you have a dance background, then people say, oh, now I see what mm. you're saying. If I give you a baseball analogy, you're not gonna, I'm going to lose you, right? Mm. So the choice of metaphor analogy is crucial. And lastly, is storytelling, and I also add to that humor. If you can incorporate humor, and I'm not talking about jokes, I'm talking about, you know, finding the humor in life. Um, but stories, people learn stories are human, stories are memorable, stories are impactful. Instead of saying to someone, you shouldn't do this, whether it's a child or an employee, if you tell them a story, let me tell you about the worst mistake I ever made. Let me tell you about when I was your age. Let me tell you about the worst boss I've ever had or the best. That resonates with people. So that's kind of break it down to those areas. And all of those are related to, you know, thinking more visually and communicating more visually. Absolutely. Would it be okay if we, we went back and unpacked these a little bit more? Because sure, I think sure. these are fantastic. So let's go back to number one, visual images and drawing. And one of the things that you said then was PowerPoints. I'm sure that I'm not the only one that has fallen asleep and uh, suffered death by PowerPoint. Yes, yes. <laughs> what tips can you give us to create engaging PowerPoint presentations? Yeah, the bottom line is use images, pictures, um, diagrams. If you can't read it from the back row, then you shouldn't be using it, right? Mm -hmm. So um, PowerPoint should not be your, your, your script. It shouldn't be your teleprompter. It should be, you know, if you watch some of the great PowerPoint presentations, like a Steve Jobs presentation when he announced, you know, the iPhone or whatever, it's an image with maybe two or three points on the screen. So, but when you have bullet, 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 your audience is reading and not listening to you. So you're actually battling with your slides. So if you're really prepared, your image should support your, your presentation. You can always send them your slides with the text and your notes afterwards, but mm -hmm. you never want to be competing with your own presentation. And I think that's where people go wrong a lot of times. Totally agree. And tying number one back to number four, you were talking about humor. I was doing a training. I'm running a, um, a, an online program at the moment to help people put together the marketing to sell their online courses. And I was trying to explain to them that if you just use one image and it's a metaphor that makes people laugh, they will remember that yeah. point instantly. Because yeah. people walk away from my workshops all the time going, I'll never forget that, that image that you put up with the, you know, the, the male maid wearing the little tutu and the, you know, blah, blah, blah. And they'll tell me all about it. So it's something that I like to do a lot, which I guess is one, three and four all together. Yeah. 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 When you use them in combination, it's even more powerful. So a real life example, one, I very often close my workshops and my, my NYU and Columbia classes. Um, with, the, with this riddle, and let's see if you could get it. I show a picture of five frogs sitting on a log, and I say there are five frogs on a log. One decides to jump into the pond. How many are left? And everyone's like, well, four. But I say, no, it's still five. He decided to jump into the pond, but he didn't actually do it. So you could decide all you want, but if you don't actually do it, you're not going to get any, any results. So it always gets a laugh. So between the visual of the frogs, the fact that it's a riddle that makes them think about it, and there's the story associated with, they remember that, yeah, I could, I could make all these commitments on paper, but if I don't take action, no, no change is going to happen. It's like, you know, just a simple quirky riddle, laugh out loud historical, but just the humor and the visual makes it powerful and memorable. And people always remember that. Mm, love it. And I would have got it wrong too, by the way. Ah. I said four. <laughs> It's a trick question. It's a trick question. Well, I knew, I'm glad that you didn't make me answer that. <laughs> ah, yeah. Awesome. Um, number two, mental models and frameworks. Now, I find I love models. Um, 
and it was one of the things that you mentioned before we started recording was that you saw one of my models on LinkedIn and obviously you've remembered it. A lot of people get really confused on this saying, oh, but what I teach is so much more complex. It doesn't fit into a model. Mm-hmm. I know what I would normally say, but I'd love to hear what you're, what you would say to these people. Yeah, I think what happens is if you take like a matrix and say it doesn't fit in, it may not fit in. That might not be the right model for you, right? So you need to figure out by looking at the situation, that's why I say pick up a pen. That's where it relates back to point one. Pick up a pen and draw it out. Right. Here's a real life example. One of my coaching clients um, based in Europe was um, his, he had two salespeople in his country. One was the head of the East. One was head of the West. Um, one was a new person. One was someone who was near retirement. And the one who was near retirement, he was just kind of like coasting. And the other guy was young and hungry. And, but their regions were swapped. So the, the, the person who was hungry for new business he was in an area that, where there wasn't a lot of business and vice versa. So I said, and he said he couldn't have them travel all the time and he couldn't have them move because that's where they were from. And I just said, I, I drew it on a napkin or a piece of paper. And I said, what if instead of dividing your regions by east and west, you made it north and south? And he like looked at me like he couldn't believe it. It was such a simple solution to a complex problem. And I didn't, I almost didn't even suggest it because it was, you know, it's something so obvious that you feel stupid even uh-huh, suggesting uh-huh. it. But he was so close to it that he didn't even see it. So he basically took, so that was basically a drawing and a visual image that became like a model and he used that to basically restructure his whole company in terms of how he structured, um, you know, the different regions and who reported to who and who handled which clients and that solved his problem. So that's one of the chapters in my book, how, how a 30 second napkin sketch solved a client's multi-million dollar problem. So mm. right there, again, that mental framework like a paradigm often keeps us from seeing the solution that's right in front of us. So we need to change the model in order to see it and to make it work. Absolutely. And sometimes someone else, you know, what you were saying there was that you could see that and, and relay it back to him. And I think that that's a really important point as well is that sometimes we can't sit actually often, we can't see the label from inside the jar. We do yeah. need to be able to explain it to other people so that they can come up with something to feed it back to us. Yeah, I love that saying. That's a great metaphor, which I have not heard before. I've always heard you can't see the forest for the trees, but I've never heard it put that way. So that was, I don't uh, actually know where I heard it originally. <laughs> it's one of my favorite sayings. I, you it's know, great. It's, it's, it's a great. I'm going to steal it. I'm going to start. Oh, I'm going to borrow it. I was going to say you can ha- you can borrow it. You can have Thank it. You. Sharing Thank the love. <laughs> but there's a saying from Zen philosophy called the beginner's mind that the the expert the beginner sees many alternatives while the expert sees few. Right. So it's kind of like the beginner's mind or the child's mind when there's no fear of when you have nothing to lose and you don't know too much. um, You could see possibilities that the expert can't see because they're so close to it. Again, you're so fixed in your mindset that a lot of times ideas come from the fringes. Ideas come from people outside your industry. That's why it's so great to talk to people. We tend to talk to people who do what we do and have the same background. You're just getting the same thinking Mm -hmm. to get outside thinking. um, I went to the workshop where I had, on innovation and creativity and I had the whole group get up and we walked down to a bookstore and everyone had to buy a magazine off the magazine shelf, a magazine that they usually wouldn't have read, right? So this woman who worked in fashion, she bought like a construction magazine and the guy who worked for like a, a manufacturing company, he bought Bride magazine. And the idea was you had to look through that magazine and find ideas for your business that were triggered by the ideas in the magazine from a completely different industry. And it was unbelievable what people came from, came up with. 
because you know when you look at the same things you're going to see the same things all the time but you look somewhere different and you just never know what what's going to be the catalyst for an innovation or a new approach to something 100 percent. i like to challenge myself that when i go for a walk or when i go out and take random pictures a couple of days later i'll look at that picture and say how can i turn this into a metaphor to you know, get across the concept that I'm trying to teach today. And I love doing that because it really takes your mind down some really cool paths. And it's amazing how often you can come up with a new model out of that as well. That's great. I was once doing a, a workshop, leadership workshop at a conference that was held on like a campground and everyone had a big piece of paper, hard, a cardboard piece of paper with colored markers. And they, just like you, they had to go out into nature, but instead of taking pictures with their camera, they had to draw. So they had to draw an image then some way was a metaphor for leadership. So they had to draw it and bring it back and then tell a story and say, you know, this is how a tree symbolizes leadership or this is how a boat symbolizes leadership. And it was great. Just like with your pictures, it's like you come up with new and fresh ideas and fresh approaches. Um, I think that's why training is so bad in a lot of cases because it's the same stories, the same metaphors, and we need to keep it fresh and, and make it different. Mm, love it so much. Love it. Talking about the, uh, you were talking about the frameworks and the the beginner and the expert and that, you know, it the, the beginner makes it quite, they can't see the straight line. I think mm. that there it's, it's really important to note that the deeper your knowledge, the easier it is to make something simple, that there's complexity in making mm-hmm. something simple. And I think that a lot of people sort of give up before they get to that real simplistic view. And I think that's what the mental models are all about. It's about let's break, like chunk it down to the absolute beginning so that you can explain it and get people to see it. But then you're, you're expanding on that. I think that people think the expansion sort of is in the model, but it's not, you're breaking it down to be simple and then expanding. Yeah. Yeah. You reminded me of the quote by Da Vinci that I use that simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. If you can take something really complex, but not dumb it down, not strip it of its nuance, but simplify it to the point where people can see what you're saying. There's magic in that. But it takes true understanding to be able to do that. That's both an art, that's an art and a skill uh, to be able to do that. I think that's one of my new favorite quotes. So we've both shared a quote that Uh either of us have heard today. Yeah, great. (laughs) Favorite. All right, so number three, metaphors and analogies. You talked about this being relatable. We've talked a little bit about it. How can people start to really dig deep into metaphors? I think these are, well, all of these things that you're talking about are so powerful, but mm-hmm. metaphors are just are such a great way to get people to understand your concepts. Yeah. Even just the way you asked the question, you said dig deep, right? We're not physically getting a shovel out and going into the dirt, right? We're dipping, mm-hmm. we're metaphorically digging deep. And to continue that analogy, just think about nature, right? We can all relate to nature regardless of our background. So you could say, we're going to dig deep into the problem. We're going to try to get to the root of the problem. We're going to plant the seed for new ideas. We're going to go out on a limb and take some educated guesses. And then we're going to try to see which of the ideas bear fruit. And the low-hanging fruit is where we should start with. So right there, I just used one tree and like six different metaphors, but I'm sure you got each and every one of them Uh because it's universal, right? So we do that all the time without realizing it. Aristotle said that the ability to master metaphor is one of the greatest skills that any speaker can have because it takes, you have to think, you have to put yourself in, you have to simplify complexity. You have to think about who my listener is, what's going to resonate with this person, and then explain something using something unrelated 
so that they get it, right? So this, that's the magic of metaphor. Love it. And that was. And I, so I, majored cool. in, I majored in English literature and Shakespeare as an undergrad. So when people said, what are you going to do, you know, for a love, my father said, what are you going to do, sit around rhyming all day, you know, <laughs> as a poet? Um, but, you know, having a background in literature gets you to think in terms of metaphor analogy, alliteration, language, um, character. Um, so there's a lot of benefits to also reading fiction, reading poetry, um, music, dance, right? Get your business ideas, but from other places. And that's how you come up with really innovative, creative approaches to things. Mm, I love that. I love that. And I think that um, something that a lot of people overlook is their background and using metaphors from their background, because, you know, um, for example, I had someone in one of my LinkedIn workshops recently that was a professional golfer for over 20 years. She didn't understand how that and her executive coaching or speaking career could come together. And I was mm. like, wow, there's got to be so many metaphors from being a professional golfer and being on the road for 20 years. Like yeah. you could have so many metaphors out of just that career that you wouldn't even almost need anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I wrote a paperback that was unpublished. So something that was more of a giveaway called, um, what would your baseball ask? And it was all about metaphors from baseball that you could use to ask coaching questions. So I won't bore your listeners with that because they may not all be baseball fans, but like, if you just say that idea was a home run, if you know anything about baseball, you know, that's a good thing. Right. Yeah. So, right. So, but again, if someone doesn't know, they may not know real life example. Um, I said to my students, um, so, some, someone sounded like a broken record because they kept repeating themselves. But if you didn't grow up listening to like us baby boomers, listening to vinyl record albums where the needle got stuck and you sounded like a broken record because it skipped or it got stuck in the groove. A millennial um, mm. who grew up listening to CDs wouldn't have had that life experience. So she took it as when I said broken record, she thought it was a good thing. Like you broke the world record in something like in the Olympics. Ah. So she took that complete so and it made no sense to her and the reason was because her paradigm was different so she took a what to me was a common expression and didn't understand it because her 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 mind her mindset was different so that's a really real world example of that yeah that's awesome i'd never even thought of that actually yeah. that's funny i do remember one of my students when I talked about records and this was years ago because obviously records haven't been around for quite a while and i remember her saying to me at the time Miss Sam, what's a record? Is that one of those like big flat CD things? Because uh -huh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. even now we, even now I'll say, you know, I'm going to tape this TV program tonight, but we're not using tape, right? It's a metaphor at this point. At one point we did use like, you know, video cassette tapes. Mm. We still could say we tape a show, but you're using it now as a metaphor because you're not literally putting it on tape anymore, right? Yeah. It becomes part of the language, part of the, the way we speak. Yeah, good point. Needs context and to be relatable. Yeah. Awesome. Number four, storytelling and humor. And I love that you've put humor in with storytelling. Tell us yeah. more about this. Yeah, I mean, people just like, you know, the, the little riddle about the five frogs on a log, you know, humor lightens the mood. It's memorable. It makes, if you can make people laugh and engage, again, not jokes. It's not like, hey, did you hear the one about, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about finding the humor in human behavior, finding the humor in life. Tell, Real life story, uh, this is the one that gets the most uh, attention from people and it's in my book as well. I was, I was working for a TV network in, the, in uh, Los Angeles earlier in my career and my boss's door flung open and I felt something whipped by my head and she threw a whole box of pens at my head because they were the wrong ones. She wanted medium point pens and these were fine point pens. Uh -huh. Or the other way around, she wanted the fine point, these were medium. 
So she starts screaming at me at the top of her lungs. It was that's if I, you know, killed her entire family, you wouldn't scream at someone that way. And I just ordered the wrong box of it turned out I didn't order the wrong box of pens. The office supplies guys sent up the wrong ones. But in retrospect, it's funny because it's so crazy. But when you're going through it, it's not funny at all. It's, it was so abusive and so extreme. But you, you, I can laugh about it now. So people like so horrified by it, and you remember it because it's a visual story. Can you imagine that happening to you? How would you handle it? So there's humor to it in retrospect, even if it's not you know meant to be a funny story. But there are lessons. You know, I, I use that when I talk about feedback. When I ask the students, you know. Might there have been any other way to give me that feedback that we had the wrong pens other than throwing it at my head? Like, you know, can you think, can anyone hear? Nope, sorry, I can't think of anything else. That's what I would do. It became like this thing. So again, it lightened the mood, but that led into a serious conversation about, all right, how do you deal with handle feedback situation when your employee makes a mistake, right? So I start with that, it lightens the mood, and it opens up the conversation. So that's just one example of how you could use humor or humor storytelling to create a psychologically safe environment where people are willing to be vulnerable and to share their stories. So what you're saying is that by using humor, it lowers people's walls so that they're able to dive deeper into what they're yeah. talking about. Yeah. And if people are laugh, if, if you're learning while you're laughing or laughing while you're learning, you can just have a better experience because um, again, things you, you will, if you could tell stories about when, when other people start sharing their horror stories of the worst boss they ever had, I mean, there's so many laughs in the room, and so, but then we take from that, all right, so what shouldn't we do as a leader? What are some of the things that, you know, everyone has those crazy boss stories, right? So it, it also bonds people, it brings them together. Mm. And one of the things I also talk about as a leader, it's not just storytelling, but story listening. Mm -hmm. Can you create an environment and are you willing to listen? Uh, Churchill had a quote, um, it takes courage to stand up and speak but courage is also what it takes to sit down and listen. And I love that quote as well, because as a leader, you don't have all the answers. So to be able to sit down and ask people and listen to what they have to say and pull their stories out of them, you know, that goes a long way in terms of developing the next generation of leaders to making them feel, hey, my story matters just as much as anyone else's. Mm, awesome, awesome. So uh, I'd love you to share, for people that have listened to this, that would like to get a a copy of your book or to stay connected with you? How can they do that? Sure. The best way is through LinkedIn. And I get, I'm the only Todd Churches in all of LinkedIn and all the world. So T-O-D-D-C-H-E-R-C-H-E-S. Just link in with me. Happy to connect with anyone anywhere in the world. And my book just came out literally last week and it's uh, available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. I'm not sure if it made it to, uh, it just made it to the UK the other day. Not sure if it's in Australia yet, but within the next few weeks, it should be everywhere in the world on Amazon. Beautiful. Love that. So Todd, I really, really have enjoyed talking to you about this today. You've talked about a lot of different things. If there was one thing that you wanted to leave our listeners with, what would it be? Yeah, I would say um, there's a quote by Marcel Proust um, that the real voyage of discovery consists not in seeking new lands, but in seeing with new eyes. And it's just like your example with going out with your camera and taking pictures. It's like, be intentional. Look at, you could look at your house, look at your spouse, look at, that even rhymed. Uh, you can look at anything with fresh eyes and notice something that you've never noticed before and it becomes new again. So um, right now we're all in New York anyway, we're sequestered at home due to the, to the coronavirus. So we need to find ways to entertain ourselves and keep our minds occupied. And one way of doing that is to think differently, look at things differently, connect with our significant others differently and just again, be open to new ideas and new possibilities. Love it. 
Todd, thank you so much for coming on the show and for sharing your wisdom and your methodologies. I really appreciate you and uh, best of luck with the, the launch of your book. Thank you, Sam. This was great. I really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you. Ciao, ciao.